Two humble teachers are surprised by Susan, a bright student, confused by contradictions in her knowledge. They decide to visit her home, only to find a blue police box inside a big interior and a man simply known as the Doctor. Refusing to leave, the Doctor decides they know too much and takes them on a journey through space and time. Welcome to Regenerated. is from the initials time and relative dimension in space. I thought you'd both understand when you saw the different dimensions inside from those outside. Hello everyone and welcome back to Regenerated. Uh, again, I am Matt and I am joined by my co-host Becky. Hello. And uh, we've basically started um, the big monumental task of watching all the Doctor Whos again from the beginning and we have finally sat down and watched An Unearthly Child. So, uh, what are your initial reactions and opinions of the first serial that we have watched? Long-winded. Well, it's it's only four episodes. Uh, the next one's even longer. The next one, I think, is seven. Um, so what, what do you think? What are your first initial uh, sort of thoughts about the about the show? The, the pilot pretty much sucked. Well, and I was surprised it got carried on. Well, you say that, but it's been going for, what is it now, 60, 60 years, yeah, 60 plus years. Yeah, but it's to know that at least it gets better. Well, it does get better. Uh, I can understand what you're saying. Uh, I always look at Unearthly Child as uh, an, a sort of serial of two halves, because you've got like the first initial episode where you're, in, you're introduced to like the Doctor and his companions about like the, the ship, as he calls it, the TARDIS. And then there's that three episode sort of serial that's sort of the, the first adventure. Um I think to be fair that the first the first sort of uh, the unearthly child's part of it when we are introduced is probably the better of the two halves I can I can th- you know looking at it sort of now it, it, you can see there are other episodes that are a lot lot better than that and um it only served as sort of a introduction um I don't I'm still sort of toying in my mind with the, the format of these shows we have to go through every single like minute of the episodes or not or just to sort of just sort of wing it and sort of go off on some points but that being said i did write down some sort of uh a pointers for like mainly the first episode because i think that's the the better one out of the two um we got introduced to the doctor who theme tune for the very first time um what did you think of the theme tune becky what do you think of the theme tune as a whole don't watch it if you're stoned well, that that is, yeah, the sort of the the effects that they sort of used in the sort of the well, title sequence, sort of like a swirl and sort of screen type sort of thing, yeah, and if that you've got a headache, you'll end up with a worse one. Well, that's that is it as well, and I noticed that um, in that very first scene where it's it like, blocks. in that very first scene where you've got like the misty sort of junkyard, and it sort of does that pan and shot. 
in to sort of bring the TARDIS into view, um, that theme tune does carry on quite a long time. Um, it doesn't really do that in the future. Uh, it's kind of like just one and sort of one and done, and then till the end as well. Um, like I said, it starts off with like a misty sort of junkyard with a policeman, um, and then you sort of open the gates and you get that pan and shot to the TARDIS. And then we're and the creepy doll. Well, yeah, there was a creepy doll as well. Um, there's a little bit. I think there's a little bit of trivia I read earlier, which was that that was a for, probably a foreshadowing for maybe the the cave of skulls cliffhanger, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, so that track and shot is a really really stylish uh, track and shot. I think as well that they used they used quite a few of these like sort of point of view track and shots as well in that first episode. Um, then we get to the the uh, the school and we get introduced to. Uh, what we become two probably staple companions at the beginning, Ian and Barbara. Dan? Oh, I had a terrible day. I don't know what to make of it. Oh, what's the trouble? Can I help? Oh, it's one of the girls, Susan Foreman. Susan Foreman? <laughs> she your problem too? Yes. And you don't know what to make of her? No. How old is she, Barbara? Fifteen. Fifteen. She lets her knowledge out a bit at a time so as not to embarrass me. That's what I feel about her. She knows more science than I'll ever know. She's a genius. Is that what she's doing with history? Something like that. Uh, two teachers, and they are... Whiny. Well, they are a little bit more so... I think Barbara is more sort of... Whiny. Yeah, she is more than sort of Ian. Ian's kind of like more sort of level-headed. Sorry, take control a lot. Yeah, he's more level-headed, scientific type of guy who sort of thinks about things in a scientific, yep, yeah, logically scientific way. The main gist of the story is uh, I've got the I've got the back of the DVD. We'll read read what the sort of the synopsis of the episode was. It says Susan Foreman is a, a mystery to teachers Ian Cheston and Barbara Wright, seemingly knowing more than she should about the past and the future. They curiously lead them to follow her home one night, only to find that her home appears to be a deserted junkyard. In the junkyard, they discover a police telephone box and a strange old man who claims to be Susan's grandfather calls himself the Doctor. The journey of a lifetime is about to begin. That mainly is just the synopsis for the first episode, that unearthly child. They kind of they admit the sort of second bit of it in that uh, sort of synopsis. Like I said in that synopsis, they are sort of concerned about this mysterious sort of girl who seems to know a bit too much about the, the history. So they basically stalk her. Uh, they go to where she says is her home. They stalk her. Yeah, um, kind of break in. Yeah, they kind of force their way in and into this blue nice um, TARDIS. What do you think uh, of the TARDIS as a whole? Uh, as a, as a, it's as blue. A, well, back in the 60s, though, I was thinking this as we were watching it, and I thought, well, it's it's okay to have a blue police box, but it's got black and white telly. You're not really going to know the colours, but then it's a it's a blue police box so it's kind That's of like stereotypically you know, but was it blue was it being black and white well yeah it would have been blue because back in the 60s the police boxes were blue that was well yeah the thing so saying, if you're what i'm saying is was it blue on the telly yes it was it was originally blue to start off with well, even in black and white well yeah well, obviously they're not they're not going to paint the police box black and white for the black and white telly show are they <laughs> well, th- yep, but everything has a colour. It's just black and white. If you get, you see what I'm saying. So it would have been. So I do think why why use a blue police box as the ship? And to be fair, if you can think of you know in context of a black and white TV show, well, I don't think it would have worked so well if it was a blimp. 
well, that's it. And the thing is, like I say, it's a blue police box. You know, they were on the streets around the country or London or whatever. And, you know, the viewer watching the show would instantly recognise that it was a blue police box. So I think that's the, one of the reasons why they sort the of thing, use it. The thing that makes me laugh, though, is out of all the things that could have been, when us going into modern day Britain... Why isn't it not a red telephone box? Why is it a blue police box that no one actually uses anymore? But if it was a, if it was a red police, a red telephone box, it would have windows in it, so you'd see in it. It's got it, windows in it anyway. Well, they, it does, but they're kind of uh, sort of greyed out, sort of whited yeah, well, out. Yeah, you could grey out windows in the telephone box. Well, you could do yes. Um, You've got half of adverts on most of them these days. Let's say this obviously originally the first show has a three-person uh, companion set. Obviously, Ian, Barbara, and Susan. I don't particularly like the three companions. I don't I don't think... I think it's too much, and I think... No, I, to be honest, over one or two maximum, any more than that, it's just a big no-go. I think... I, yep, that is the point. And I think later on you'll see, as we go through, that there are points in the, sh- in the show where they're trying to get, like... You kind of can't write for a three-man companion. You've always got to put one one sort of kidnapped and tied up while the other two sort of go out and try and save the day or the doctor. You know, it's... Yeah, yeah, and it's... I just, you know, they've... In the modern day, you know, it's it's not the modern uh, Doctor Who that we're talking about, but there is a three-companion set in the the modern ones, and I just just don't get... I just can't get on with it. Um, What do you think... You mean by modern because you haven't even watched nothing after Peter well, well, I did. I, I've said before, I said it in the introduction that I did actually see one episode of the uh, the Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, and it's a three person companion set. Are I just, you sure that just weren't the trailer? Well, no, but I have seen the trailers as well, so you know, uh, so. I'm still yet to watch them. Yep, so anyway, Susan, I, I wrote down that she was like a typical 60s young lady that sort of, I don't know, yes, and obviously listens, when we're first introduced to her, she's listened to the radio, you know, and she always makes references to how she likes to be here in this sort of era of history as well, um, so. Yeah, but she seems so smart when she knows stuff, but then she just acts like a stupid girl. Well, she, and, she only know. kind of knows sort of certain things about history more than anything else anything modern then she's completely stuck on um because obviously she she is they never i i, I don't well, know no, cause she said she was born in the 40th century that's in the pilot uh yes we actually ended up in a d- disclaimer about how we watched it we watched the dvd i pressed play all we watched the pilot which unbeknownst to me because i haven't watched it for a little while um, and they're very similar, the pilot and the actual original episode. So we ended up watching the pilot and then went on to the next episode. And it was a completely same episode again. So we kind of, the first half of the, the pilot is kind of the same as the original. It's just the sort of ending, um, sort of second half of the, the episode. It's a slightly different. Um, I put uh, that basically the doctor is more, he's more cantankerous, I think, in the pilot than what he, he really was. Pain in the neck. Yeah, and he was more challenging, I think, to Ian in the pilot, uh, whereas in the original they kind of dulled that down a little bit. Well, it's more of sort of like um, cock of the walk sort of thing, isn't it? Like a rooster sort of thing. 
they don't like people moving in on their territory. See, in my, in my notes, I actually put that the, going off the pilot, that the Doctor was a bit of an arse. Uh, that, that got dulled down, I think, in the original. Also, there was a scene where uh, Ian sort of fights the Doctor a little bit. That that got sort of omitted as well from the original. They kind of cut that out. Um, I think they probably didn't want to have a, a, a sort of scene where this, yeah, this sort of this sort of you know sort of thirties, forty year olds gentlemen's having a fight with an, an old older gentleman. So they sort of omitted that. Um, so yeah, so. As they're in the sort of the junkyards and they're sort of sneaking about, uh, Ian and Barbara, they're kind of hiding. The doctor comes in. Um, one of our pupils, Susan Foreman, came into this yard. Really? In here? Are you sure? Yes. We saw her from across the street. One of their pupils, not the police then. I, I beg your pardon? Why were you spying on her? Who are you? We heard a young girl's voice call out to you. Your hearing must be very acute. I didn't hear anything. It came from in here. You imagined it? I certainly did not imagine it. Young man, is it reasonable to suppose that anybody would be inside a cupboard like that? Mm. Um, what's your first like impression of what, the, of how the Doctor was? How do you think he got betrayed in that first instant? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think the introduction of the Doctor, it, you know, if we go back now, then I think it would be more probably a little bit more flamboyant, a bit more sort of big alive that sort of thing whereas this they're kind of this is like a, you know a show where they didn't know it was going to have like a 60 65 year sort of legacy um and have such a, a cult following as well and a big fan base you know back back then they didn't I didn't know that i find it funny how basically one minute he got a cantanker or sold sod and then the next minute he just gets more and more eccentric yep the doctor as the doctors go on which is quite funny Yes, the Doctor um, can be f- uh, seen as a bit of eccentric. Uh, With Tom Baker, yes. <laughs> yep, and you know that trait is kind of always there in the Doctor for all the. Because they would wear a scarf that long and not wrap it around another couple of times, because otherwise the amount of running around he does, he's going to bugger over it. Yes, that is it as well, and we'll we'll I get suppose on. Of health and safety. But it's going to be a be, be a little bit of a while before we get on to Tom Baker. It's going to be quite yeah. quite quite a few podcasts before we get there but i think that the doctor i think william hartnell's portrayal of the doctor i think is is quite good especially watching it for like the podcast sort of thing to discuss it and that i think you really do pay attention to these things a little bit more and i think william hartnell's actually he's very good in that first role you've got to remember that he's trying to establish a role as well and i think the thing is though with that first one i think the story is a bit stretched a bit like they sort of had the story set but it was supposed to be a lot shorter and it was just pulled out far too much well like i said i I think it always seems as if it's it's an episode or serial of two halves they've kind of got that introduction episode and then an adventure that's what they kind of by the looks of it you know um i i put that you'll find straight away and I think this, this sort of continues through the sort of serials with with Ian and with the Doctor you kind of get that sort of stubbornness sort of inter fight in between them they do bicker quite a lot I found and I did notice that yeah. in this serial that they do they do they've got that stubbornness together but I do find that the Doctor seems just he does have a little bit of admiration there at the beginning I think that he can he understands that this man's quite a you know he's quite an, a, a intelligent logic logical kind of person and i think he kind of has that uh, that sort of you know sort of admiration a little bit for ian i think in the beginning uh 
I put that um, the Doctor, I think the Doctor also has like, a bit of a smugness to him, I think, as well. Uh, you know, and uh, that comes through in, in, the, in one of the later episodes. I don't know what he knows. He gets smug about. Yeah. Uh, we also... Uh, it's just a little bit like me, yeah. Uh, uh, apart from when you're actually... A lot of the time you get smug thinking you're right when you're actually wrong. Well, sometimes, majority of the time, I am right. Yeah. That's what you like to think. So, the TARDIS. Obviously, really the TARDIS. What does the TARDIS stand for? What is it? Time and Relative Dimension in Space. <laughs> I think uh, we'll, we'll give you that. Yep, the TARDIS idea of uh, a small sort of exterior um, to a large interior. I think when you look at that as uh, 19... We, got that question. we used to get that question in a quiz developed by my dad years ago. <laughs> I think you have to be a true Whovian. Um, you can't, or should I say you can't really class yourself as a true Whovian if you don't know the answer to that question. I know the answer to that as seven. Like I say, the TARDIS as as an overall premise. What do you think of the TARDIS as an overall premise? The, you know, the outside is a police box, and the inside is, um, you know, a, a much bigger. It's kind of a bit annoying because you've got a nice, colourful, big blue outside, and then inside is a bit drab and needs a decent decorator. That's it. I think when you think about it, like I say, it's black and white telly. Not much colour, I it think. It doesn't matter whether it's black and white or colour. That inside of the TARDIS looks so clinical, it might as well be a dentist surgery. Well, it's, it's supposed to be a spaceship, isn't it? Yeah, it's, but <laughs> it's different. If you want it to look modern on the outside, surely it's supposed to be modern on the inside. Well, that's it as well. You know, it's supposed to be like... Um, they kind of allude to this in the episode as well about the chameleon circuit, as we all know that the the TARDIS is supposed to change to fit into its surroundings. Um, Which you never that, see. Well, it happens. I think it happens in uh, a Colin Baker episode, but not for very long. It's always been a bit dysfunctional. The chameleon circuit it never really changes. Um, you know, they do say in later in the well, I think it's the Cave of Skulls. They sort of say, "Oh, it used to, it was a pillar, and it's been this and been that." So it has been working before, but it's now to the point where it's not working now. And for the foreseeable future, it doesn't change. It's always a police box, and it it always it always amazes me, like in the the future as well, that when you do go back to like sort of planet Earth and like the modern era and that, it's like it's blue out of date police box and no one really questions it still it's quite well, no, because then everyone knows where that the doctor's there then well yeah that, that well and okay fair play then um but you I know obviously obviously in the 60s uh a blue police box isn't really out of place so i think i think well, i'm the... guessing because he was trying to hide who he was in the um 60s bit but now in the sort of like the modern times obviously he sort of comes and goes from earth as he pleases yeah. Everyone's like, "Ooh, and the TARDIS is back," sort of thing. Yeah, I think I think as a modern day, or should I say, in the sixties presence, uh, the idea of the TARDIS, I think, is I think it's a brilliant idea. I really do. I think it's a really, really good idea that you've got this small blue police box, and inside it's a much bigger, bigger yeah, space. Yeah, they could at least match the decor to at least some of the outside, like a few pale blues, even. Well, but, yeah, like I say, it doesn't it doesn't make no difference on the black and white telly though. That that more come into when we got color TV, and I think it does come into play a little bit when you do get yeah, to the color. Like 
giant bubble wrap on the wall. No, I think the look of the inside of the TARDIS as well doesn't really change much. That you know, no, but the sides of the walls inside literally look like either one a big, sh- like massive roll of bubble wrap, or two with gigantic thingies on it, or it sort of resembles the things on a Dalek. Well, that's it as well, and um, that's uh, that's an early segue into the next episode, which will be the Daleks. Um, but that's the thing, and like with the Daleks, it's supposed to be like a whole big genocide thing with the Time War, and then yet the inside of the TARDIS looks slightly similar to a Dalek, the side of a Dalek. Well, it, I, I think the look, I think the look of the inside of the TARDIS is very sixties. Um, I think they used. A, <laughs> Like say, si- <laughs> well, that's it. Well, in the pilot episode, yeah, you can t- definitely yeah. see there's like a sheet at the back. It's but not a sheet. It, it's like a um, just a, like a curtain. Yeah, that, well, they they it's changed a, that. It's too heavy they, to be a sheet. They changed it for the um for the actual original Trash episode. It actually women, became women a proper no fa- set. Women no fabrics. That is not a sheet. That is a curtain. Uh, the console, the console in the centre, that stays the same as well throughout the near enough the whole run, even to now, that kind of the oh, same. No, I think it's a little bigger now. Yeah, well, the the premise of the idea, the design is kind of the same, you know, with the sort of central up uh, the console, sort of the I, I can't remember what they call it. They now, call now it something. We're, now it's sort of more like coppery and sort of metallic-y and things like that, and like industrialized yeah and uh, sort of like a steelworks in sheffield or something like that have attacked it well the, the um the the center i, I, I like to say I, it's called something i can't remember what it's called but this the center sort of podium sort of structure that goes up and down now if people can correct me i don't I, is it is it a vortex or something i i don't really know what it's called I, i'm gonna like i said i don't know everything and i have read it recently what the people are calling it but that that sort of stayed the same as well. That's kind of the same into modern era. But anyway, going through, you know, in this process, you know, like I say, Barbara and Ian, they've pushed away into the TARDIS. You know, there's a lot of questions. There's a few few answers, only for the Doctor to realise that, you know, Ian and Barbara know too much. And basically, he kidnaps them and takes them on a journey through space and time. Let's go with them. I'll open the door. Are you coming, And then we get what becomes like a staple of Doctor Who, which is the cliffhanger. Well, that'd have been good for kids when it came out. Oh, here's a good episode of Doctor Who. We're encouraging trespassing, breaking and entering, and oh, kidnapping as well. Well, there's quite a few crimes committed <laughs> in that first episode, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. so like I say, you got the first sort of staple, uh, another staple of Doctor Who, which is the very first cliffhanger. Obviously, the TARDIS has moved. It's no longer in the junkyard. It's sort of on a deserty, uh, sandy planet. And then you get that sort of shadow coming over the sort of horizon behind the camera. Um, and that's kind of the first cliffhanger. What do you think of that as a, as a sort of an overall cliffhanger back, thinking in the 60s as well? What, what would you think if you were sort of in the 60s watching that, seeing yes, it for the um, first time? I think... I think it, it, I don't really pay much attention to cliffhangers because, you know, you always get the films these days that are like, oh, there's a cliffhanger. Well, you know just full well there's going to be a sequel. But so would, would you say you that... Really pay attention to the cliffhanger. Because all you want to do is watch the, the next bit. You don't really 
pay attention to what's happening. But would you say that if you were watching that in the 60s, you'd think... I weren't even I, born in the 60s. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you put yourself in that sort of mindset... I weren't even born till the end. Well, if you, I'm saying if you put yourself in that sort of mindset, would you come back and watch next week's episode with that as a cliffhanger? Probably not. Why? Why wouldn't you? I think it's a good cliffhanger. I think first, it's because the first bit was a bit long-winded and a bit boring. So I think unless you know, <laughs> I think I think to it's be a, honest, if you weren't putting it on, I probably wouldn't have watched it. Well, don't worry. Let's get better. It gets better. I, I know what you're saying. No, the first. Um, like I say, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the the first sort of. Um, th- there are there are good ones, and the next one's a really good one as well with the Daleks. That first one, like I say, it's, it can be a bit slow. It is it's 60s, a bit like Marmite. <laughs> it is it is like sixties TV, you know. You, 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 yeah, there was a there was a fascination in the 60s for sci-fi and they sort of tapped in it you got to remember they are on a limited budget you know and that that does crop up right, throughout another 60s series, then. well i don't know i wouldn't i'm, I'm not a, i'm not a connoisseur of a 60s tv no but you just said about 60s sci-fi well no i'm saying that's in the 60s that people were fascinated with sci-fi because we were starting to get the beginning of the space race you know what all this sort of and, what in the stoner phase well, yeah, they are they are swinging sixties, and uh, all the hit. Uh, what is it? No, I thought hippies were hippies. In the 60s, 70s. Was it? Hippies well, didn't they have like 70s. Woodstock and that in the sixties? I don't know. But I weren't born. Anyway, <laughs> so you ask me that, and you're older than me. So let's say cliffhanger into the next episode, Cave of Skulls. Basically, around about this is where I feel that Doctor Who this sort of dragged on a little bit this premise the premise is that you've got this sort of uh, caveman or caveman and woman tribe and they basically want to make fire because whoever makes fire becomes the leader that's basically the gist of the whole thing the doctor then arrives uh, this cave tribe uh, leader um, they sort of kidnap him and basically try and force him to make fire um there's two two uh, rival sort of leaders, as it were. There's Tsar and there's Carl. Um, both, sort of, you know, like I say, they're both wanting to make fire. They've got the old woman as well. Uh, she doesn't want them to make fire. It's, it's like I say, it, it's. It, I can understand what you're saying. It is. It's not the best story they ever done. It is an introduction. Yeah, but it's long winded. They get released. It is. It is. It is a long winded story. I do think. And that's just like, right. Are you going to do it or not? And, uh, you know, you could have easily done it by now and then finished the episode. Yeah, that's it. They could have done this They could have done this story in, like, 40 minutes, they you know. They could have easily done this story in 20 minutes. But, that, but, but you not, know, I've seen episodes of Friends that, have, you know, that have got a longer story in 20 minutes than that. But that being said, you know, it has its place in the, in the lore of Doctor Who and it is the starting point and... You know, everyone's got to start somewhere, I suppose. And I got to admit, I did like, I kind of like. You got to remember, and I always, always when I watch Doctor Who, I always put it in the frame of mind of they do have a limited budget. You have to think about what they're working with the budget. I do think the set is really, really good. I think you do, you don't question. I don't, I didn't question whether or not it was a studio set or not. I think that they took that out of my mind. I kind of got lost in it and thought this could be a prehistoric sort of world, as it were. Right, so you, do you go through everything thinking, oh, well, that's a studio set, that's a build set, that's this, that's that. That's a bit boring. Well, obviously it was Why done... Why don't you just actually just sit there and watch it? Well, no, but I, I 
like I say, I go f- through it with the mindset of that. Being completely analytical. They have, well, yeah, you have to. It's part of the podcast, Becky. That's why we're doing the podcast. And it's also completely anal. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> but I like to... I like to, I like to just sit there and watch things. Well, you can sit there and watch it, and then I'll be the one who's being the more analytical. I do have four, five sheets of written um, information. Mine's all up here, love. I don't need all that bits of writing. Well, I keep mine in my brain. But anyway, like I say, it's kind of that sort of. I have one. The doctor gets kidnapped. They try and save him. They get let out. They come back. They get kidnapped. And you know, there's a little bit of a tussle. They try and to kill him. There is a nice sort of scene. Um, like I said, got cave skulls. You've got the what is it? It's the forest of fear, and then it's the fire maker. I think is the third one. Uh, it's the sort of fourth episode, third one of this sort of story. Um, there's a nice little. Uh, I don't know why they've done this, but there's some film shot as well. Um, I'll educate you quickly, Becky. Uh, when they do it in a TV studio, they kind of film it a different way, and then they do like this sort of. Where it's recorded on film, it's it looks different. It looks like it's a movie, and they did that right at the end when they're fighting, when Carl and Zara fighting. Um, they put that onto that's on film, and I thought it was a bit strange how they done why they done that. I don't really know. Um, also, I put in my notes that actually, when you think about this as a a sixties show, it's actually quite brutal. They 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 kill an old woman. They. You know, and they imply that uh, he crushes his skull with a stone. You know, they kind of... It, I think it's quite a brutal serial. I think it's quite a brutal story. Um, but in the end... Um, in the end... Well, it wasn't exactly a stone. It was more of a, like a rectangular boulder. Yep. Um, and to be honest, no person, unless they were like the world's strongest man would actually be able to pick that up. And, yeah, in, in the end, it was Zara who killed Carl. Um, spoiler alert. Yep, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, I would think that if people listen to this podcast, they're Doctor Who fans who've already watched this um, and possibly watching along. Um, yep, he kills him, and basically they trap Ian, Susan, uh, the Doctor, and Barbara again in the cave again. They basically just make fire. And that's what they use to really escape and get back to the TARDIS. Um, get, and then we get the, the next the next thing that kind of becomes Doctor Doctor Who lore as well is that the Doctor can't actually fly the TARDIS. He doesn't really have no control over it. So it's sort of on its way going anywhere. Yeah, but not only that, he says that the year counter is out. So they could just end up being anywhere. Yet that must get fixed later on because... He's t- there's quite a few episodes where he's turned around and said, well, well, we're here, we're here, we're here, in this year. So that obviously must get fixed at some point. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. We'll have, to, we'll have to go through, we'll have to see what happens. But, yep, they sort of um, obviously dematerialise, get on their way to the next adventure, materialise on another planet. No, it's a bit blooming loud, though. It's louder than um, uh, um, lorry reversing. Yeah, well, uh, well, while, while we're on it as well, the the TARDIS dematerialization and materialization sound, I think you'll find it was, uh, it's, I think it's an upright piano. I think they sort of pull like um, a bar or something along it, and that's what the sound is. I think, 
I might be completely wrong on that, but I can remember seeing something about that. So yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird yeah, sort of sound as well. It's really hard. It's a really like, well, if you if you're trying to get away from someone, you know, and you're trying to sort of get off the planet, wouldn't it be better to have something that's a bit quieter to get away? Well, yeah, it does, so it does sort of. Obvious. Well, it does sort of. Uh, it does sort of announce his arrival and departure, quite evidently. Yeah, talk about making an entrance. But it's quite a unique sound. Um, I, I think, a bit like with the theme tune, you know, it's something probably in the sixty they'd never heard, heard of that could have been probably intriguing as well. But anyway, yep, they they sort of appear on this other planet where they look look at the viewer, and it's sort of like um, I I question now. Go on. Title sequence, right? Yes. Is it me or does the W on Doctor Who actually change from one letter to another? What do you mean? What do you mean change from one letter to another? Because it looks like it changes from one letter to another. What the font? No, I mean the actual W in the Who is actually a different letter and then changes into a W. I'd have to have a look. I'll have to when we go through the next one. I'll, I'll have a look and I'll get back to you on that one. And tell you what I think. That's where it does. Well, we'll have to see. But yeah, like I say, it's just like it fades out, and then the, the, the W comes it, to the back of it. It possibly does. I think you might be right. Um, but say they look. No, I am right. Well, because we'll, I'm always right. Well, we'll confirm that when I watch it next time. We'll see who's right. Uh, me, because I uh. always am over you. Anyway, so yeah, they look at the viewer, they see where they are next, and I thought it looked like a snow planet. If you look at it really closely, it looks like a snow planet. So, yeah, but how do you know if it looks like a snow planet? Because it's just white. Right? Well, that's the it. The sand on the other one was white. That you saying it looks like snow? It's white. But there's like there's like uh, dead trees and that, and it looks like it's got snow on it. Could be sand. Well, I think. Well, I don't want to get into too much about the next episode, Could but. Be dead. Um, could be ash. Well, we'll get on to that when we when we get on to the next the next episode. But the doctor asks Susan, you know, about the radiation. She says it's normal. They then sort of go to uh, by the yeah. looks of it leave. And then the radiation levels are in the danger area. That's it. That's it. Which would be a better indication of it being ash because volcanoes can cause high radiation. Well, that's a we'll we'll have to find out, won't we? Um, it's Didn't you ever do geography, the next Phil? the next episode was then it flashed up on screen. Next episode is called the Dead Planet. Uh, but because some overall, materials inside a volcano can have ra- radiate radioactive properties. Well, yep. And when we get onto it, we'll find out why the we'll we'll find out why the radiation is high when we get onto that episode. But yeah, called the Dead Planet. Overall, the serial is called Spoiler Alert: The Daleks. Ego, Dead Planet as well. Volcano. Could be volcanoes. Well, there is a backstory as to why it's called the Dead Planet and why it's uh, ash. That is that is the spoiler. It is ash, um, and why the radiation is high. So we'll see what happens when we get to the. And you were like, "Oh, it's snow." Oh, I said it looked like snow. I didn't say it was snow. I said it looked like snow. Well, it's uh, let's just say um, the I looked at the uh, the. Sort of the the fans sort of um, uh, rate the synopsis, didn't you? Well, I know. I well, I've, what, I've seen the Daleks. You've seen that episode. I've seen the Daleks. Oh, a bit of snow. And you knew full well I was no, no, right I was... about it being ash. Well, yeah, but so then 
But Nina, I said, Nina. I didn't say it was snow. I said Nina, it looked like Nina, snow. Nina. The viewers will, uh, the listeners, should I say, not viewers, the listeners will help me out here that I said it looked like snow. Yeah, and I said it was ash, and I've never even seen it. So, well, Nina, Nina, but, yeah. Nina. So, overall, I looked at the the rating for the unearthly child. So overall, it got an 8.3 out of 10, uh, which is quite high. How? There's a lot of people that think that it's a, it's a really I good serial. I think I look at, well, that's still above average. So it's still well, quite no, good. It's about halfway, you know, five is basically halfway between good and crap. Um, well, that's, well, and I, I it's can't, still. I can't say it's halfway because I probably see something, I've probably seen something or other things, not necessarily Doctor Who, but other things that are worse. So. See, I think like I've said I've said it a couple of times. So I look at it as a, as a tale of two halves. The first bit with the introduction of the companions and the Doctor and the TARDIS and all that. I think that's really good. I think that's where you're getting your eight point three from. The second bit where they go to the prehistoric and they got the caveman bit and that. Yeah, it's, not it's not very actiony. It's not very action packed. It's not very action packed. That's probably why they knocked off one point seven. Well, it could be, and I don't think that that is. I still don't As say good. it should be an eight point three. I'd just say it's six maximum, maybe a five or a five point five. Well, in the in the Doctor Who the episode guide, he actually gives it a ten. So it's a ten out of ten. Um in the verdict. The verdict is the Who first wrote that? Well, uh it is um Mark Campbell. So his verdict and he, and he has anything to do with that episode how? Well no, he's just he's just probably just a fan. It's just watched the episode and correlated it into an episode guide but his verdict on they the probably also attend them his, well his verdict on the book was the first episode's collusion of mundane reality and science fantasy is audacious the following caveman adventure is gritty and violent and no other story comes close to capturing the discomfort of being uprooted from familiar surroundings and having to survive in a strange hostile world and he gave it 10 out of 10 that's what he said i wouldn't now, say it's gritty at all I do. I think it's got brutal elements for a 60s program. Yeah, brutal. You know, it's as in basically beating the, you know, two cavemen beating the crap out of each other. The, yeah. But, to be honest, you've probably, you know, you've probably got horror films that are worse than that. Well, that that is also the other thing I was going to say, is that if you look at it with a modern uh, day eye, there are a lot of things out there oh, that are a lot more violent. There black and white horror films that were done in the 30s. That were a lot worse than that. Also, the other thing you've got to think about is that also the time at which it was on as well. You know, it, it would have been on probably sort of uh, in the... So, let me see. It doesn't It doesn't say in the book when it was on, but it was on 20, uh, 23rd of November to the 14th of December, 1963. It averaged 5.9 million viewers as well. Um I'm You've got to think about what time it was on. Uh, I haven't, I haven't actually researched what time that it was on. It could have been on about six, seven o'clock. So it's kind of more of a family thing as well. Yeah, so you couldn't. How, how could you have five point nine million people watching it? Because they didn't have as many ch- uh, stations as what they do now. Yeah, but I'm surprised that amount of people in the sixties had that many. You know, that many people had telly. Well, that, well, that's the other thing as well. Five point nine million as well. It's probably the only probably had BBC. BBC, I don't know. BBC Two came in. I don't really know the background onto history of the telly. I don't think my my nanny got a telly till she till seventies. 
well, you see, like I say, it was a bit of a luxury as well. But let's say 5.9 million people watched it. It's probably on about family time as well. So the violence couldn't be like sort of, sort of the level of a horror film or something or something like now. I think I think it's as, as violent as it could have been for a family audience. And I think it is quite... Although saying that, I don't think Doctor Who would have been up my nanny's street back then anyway. I think, I think uh, you know... Until, until it hit David Tennant and then she was like, oh, he's a bit nice, I'll watch that. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of people that say that about David Tennant. Oh, and he's still good looking as always. <laughs> that is it. Well, once he has a shave. And so I think when you look at it, I think they did capture the element of a caveman. I think they did uh, and that sort of barbaricness. Uh, the other question I had was um, that for cavemen, they speak incredibly good English. They're, incredi- yeah. they're incredibly good vocabulary honest, for cavemen. With regards to caveman vocabulary, I think I've been more accurate watching horrible histories. Well, that's it as well. You know, we do find out that the actual... And unfortunately, I've seen far too much of that and know far too many of the songs. We find out later on that the TARDIS actually um, it's got like a, a, a translator filter in it. So because you're in the TARDIS, you've been in the TARDIS, then you can well, go on to other worlds and... Whole conversation now, it's a bit like the Babel fish out of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, but that's a that's I've another never seen that. that's another podcast. <laughs> I've never seen Hitchhiker's Guide. So well, now. again, again, we have to educate you. Oh, for crying! If I'm if I'm being educated, you're being educated. I just got to think with what. But anyway, that's that's unearthly child. I think I think I would give it and probably. Anyway, I educated you in Priscilla Queen of the Desert and Mamma Mia. Well, like I said, that's another podcast as well. Um, what? Like, what's, what's another podcast? <laughs> talking about Priscilla and Mamma Mia. Um, so ratings, I, I think the rating is probably, a, a, I would say a 7 out of 10. I wouldn't no. give it, it's nowhere 10 out of 10. Not now, looking at no, it. with I'd still um, say 6 or lower. I think looking at it with a modern a modern eye, I think it's more of a 7 out of 10. I would I'm never give it a 10 out of 10. A, I'm say, saying that is a maximum of 6. So... Um, quickly going through some of like the production details as well producer verity lambert she was very instrumental in doctor who and getting it on the telly uh story editor david whitaker uh, the first doctor obviously was william hartnell uh, the companions were caroline ford who played susan foreman william russell who was ian chesterton and jacqueline hill who's barbara wright um and i'll quickly go through some of the crew the director was uh Warris hussein and the writer was anthony colburn um, and the music was Norman Kay. So, say overall, I think I think looking at it as a whole, I think it's a good introduction to Doctor Who. I wonder if it was related to Gordon King. Maybe, mm. who knows? But yeah, I think as an introduction, I think it is. I think it's a good. It is a good starting point. You know, I've seen a lot of people say, you know, I want to get into Doctor Who. Where shall I start? And I always say at the beginning. I think the beginning is always the best. Let's say the next episode is going to be the Daleks. Um, that's when Doctor Who, I th- I find, really kicks into gear. We'll have to come back and see what you think of that one if you're not too keen on this caf- one. As long as we caffeinate before they exterminate. Well, right. we'll see. Um, <laughs> yep. So uh, we'll quickly go through some of the social medias as well. Uh, if you want to find us on Facebook. We're at and Reg- I have many more puns like that to come. Oh, God. <laughs> Here we go strap in room for a bumpy ride <laughs> but anyway social media is facebook if you want to follow us on facebook it's regenerated doctor who podcast on twitter we are on regenerated 1963 and we've also got a website that i've been working on slaving on so i say and i think it's get to a yeah, point where it's the social 
social media stuff, I'm no good at computers so apart from I think my I, own Facebook page. I think well I think the I think the website's looking really quite good. That's at uh, regenerated nineteen sixty three dot com slash forward slash regenerated and you can find like all the links for Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh Buzzsprout, which we're hosted on and all that sort of stuff. So if you want to you can look at us on there. Um there's also a little quiz on there as well, Becky, uh, for, uh, for the Unearthly Child Which as well. I don't know what the questions are because he wrote it, not me. <laughs> well, it's just a fun little quiz. It's not some. It's not overly strenuous. It's he told me fairly I wasn't quite easy. To look at it. It's quite easy as well. So I don't think even you'd struggle with that one, Becky. Insults. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this this podcast come out a little bit quicker than what we said i said to say fortnightly but i was too eager to get into watching it so uh yeah not half like near enough every day going on about well, it that, kid in a candy that, well i'm excited to delve into doctor who i think we will watch uh over the press of the next uh the process of the next week i'm going to watch the daleks and i'm going to get the next episode out as, as quick as well and then we will go to fortnightly um i just want to get some sort of content out there for the listeners to sort of listen to well, they're on the, on the journeys to work, maybe. And then now people can actually go back to work. Well, that is it, and that's another thing as well. That I will have to go to back to work. So again, that's why it's going to be a fortnightly thing. But anyway, we should eventually. Wrap... Well, that's it as well. Um, so we'll wrap this up now, and uh, we'll say we'll look forward to the Daleks. And I think I'm, I'm quietly confident. I think you'll have a better opinion of the Daleks. It is um, a very good I show. Always... I have seen like early Cybermen ones, which are quite funny in the um, silver painted diving suits. Well, again, yeah, the rubber <laughs> suits as well. But uh, we'll have to see, like, say That's the Daleks. The, like um, head things that look like they're made out of paper mache. So yeah, like I say, the Daleks, their design is a little bit different, but we'll get to that in the next podcast. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Yep. So we'll uh, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast and you'll stick around and listen to our future ones as well and hit us up all on social media and like and share and everything and rate and review and all of those and good things. anyone who wants to help prove him wrong, just comment. <laughs> yep, well, always happy to be proved wrong. <laughs> you lie. <laughs> anyway. He we've... never likes being proved wrong, even when he is. So, well, that, well, yeah, that that's that's for another time, Becky. We'll see if I'm right, <laughs> won't we? But that'll be in the next podcast. I'm so. always right. You always think you're right. There's a difference. Well, we could be here all day. What was it someone got us for um, a wedding present? It was mugs that says Mr. Right and Mrs. Always Right. Pay attention. Right. Well, on that note, then we'll say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.